0: Thank you for listening to the Hope Church Podcast. We hope that this message inspires you and encourages you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and resources, visit hopeboon.com. How many, could I see just a show of hands that were with us last week when we started our new series? Can you show me by your hands who was here? Okay, awesome. Most of us were here. If you weren't here, I want to encourage you to go on our Facebook page, to go on our website, uh, either one, and find the stream and go back and watch or listen on the podcast to what we began last week. I think it's very important. God's put on my heart a series that I've titled Power From Above. Hour from above, and it's all about the ministry, the present-day ministry of the Holy Spirit. I believe God is doing some wonderful things in our lives by His Spirit and by His power. So I want to continue in that this morning, and if you didn't get a chance to hear it last week, I encourage you to go back and give it a listen so you can get caught up uh, on, on what we began, okay? Uh, now, before we get into the Word, I want to lead you in our confession of faith that we like to make. Our our, our declaration, you know this very well if you go to church here. If you don't, this is maybe your first time. We read this and declare it over ourselves every Sunday morning just about. Let's read it out loud. Say, thank you, Father, that today the eyes of my heart see you, the ears of my heart... Y'all keep going. Today I am growing in the things... God. We believe that we're growing in the things of God this morning. Amen. Hallelujah. What an honor it is to come before the word of God. I don't know about you, but I take his word very seriously. I honor his word. I love his word. His word is life, the Bible says, to those that find it and health to all their flesh. You know that the word of God has within it everything that you and I will ever need in our lives. Amen. Amen. The Word of God's got it in there. So this morning, I want to continue in the Word and continue in this series. There's two verses that we've made uh, central to this series. The first one is in Luke chapter 24, verse 49, and the second one is in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Now, you can either turn in your Bible there or you can follow along uh, on the screen this morning if you desire. Luke chapter 24, verse 49, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. We we'll begin in Luke twenty four forty nine. Jesus speaking to the disciples is speaking prophetically about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And he says, behold, I send the promise of my father upon you, but tarry or wait in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Now you can jump over to Acts chapter 1 verse 8. It says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, or witnesses to me rather, in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Again, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. These are some of his very last words before he leaves and ascends back into heaven. This is one of the last things he said to his disciples is, Y'all, you need to wait in Jerusalem. I'm sending the promise of my Father, that is the Holy Spirit, to come and indwell you and to be on you. You remember what we said last week when we introduced this idea of who the Holy Spirit is? That he is a part of the Trinity, he's part of the Godhead. Just a moment of review from last week. We said that the Holy Spirit is a he, not an it. How many of you remember that? Why? Because you can't have a relationship with an it. An it can never love you back. You might love your car, but I tell you, it's not loving you back. You might love your boat, it has no feelings for you. Okay? Because you can't love an it, you can't have a relationship with an it. But but the, the Holy Spirit, he is a person. He's he's a part of the Godhead. He's a part of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's just as important and valid as Jesus and as the Father. He's not a substance. He's not goosebumps. Amen. You know, it's it's important to to remind ourselves of this because all through the Scripture, when the Holy Spirit shows up somewhere, things happen. And sometimes we associate the Holy Spirit with the things that happen rather than with the person that he is. Does that make sense? So we said that the Holy Spirit came after Jesus' words, after Jesus ascended in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit came to be both God in us and God on us. That he came to be God in dwelling in us. Remember, Jesus was God with us, right? Isn't that what the angel Gabriel said to Mary? That he's going to be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. God came and dwelt among us, John chapter 1 says. But it was better for Jesus to go. He says in John chapter 16, it's more expedient. It's better that I go so that I can send the promise, the comforter to come to you, the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he wants to be both God in us and God on us. We said that Jesus' words here, wait until you are endued with power from on high, The word endued means to sink into, like to sink into clothing. And I told you, how many of you remember me talking about my favorite sweater last week? I told you about my favorite sweater because I sink into it when I wear it. It envelops me. And and that relationship is, is exactly what God desires for us to have with his spirit and with his power. We said that the word power means literally force, especially miraculous power, ability, might, strength. And it means a mighty wonderful work god by his power wants to do in you a mighty and wonderful work it's not just good enough for, as far as god's concerned for you to have the lord living in you he wants he wants to he wants to he wants out y'all know what i'm talking about the holy spirit he, he's in you but he but he wants to be in the person next to you He wants to be in the life of that cranky coworker that you work with. He wants to be in in the life of that cousin that you have that you're not sure if you really even like them or not. God still loves them, and he wants them, he wants to be in their life just as bad as he wants to be in yours. Amen. We said that people are hungry for more of God, but they often don't know where to turn. People are nervous that when you start talking about the Holy Spirit, everything's going to get really weird. Remember? We talked about that last week. I said, the Holy Spirit doesn't make you weird. He makes you effective. Amen. He makes you more like Jesus. He makes you think different, talk different, live different, be different. He gives you power that you didn't have before. He makes you an agent of transformation in the world around you. He doesn't make you weird, He makes you better. Glory to God. We said that the Holy Spirit's not weird. It's people that are weird. It's their flesh that's weird. And, you know, a lot of folks get nervous, say, well, if I receive the Holy Spirit, will I become weird? I don't know. Are you normal now? Yeah, pretty normal. Okay, then you'll just be a better version of you. It's the weirdos that get the Holy Spirit, and then they get more weird, you know? It's not the Holy Spirit's fault. Don't blame him, amen? Oh, goodness. Now, today, I want to address the power of God and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, I want to address why it's so important. This message today, out of this entire series, probably both the easiest and the hardest for me to put together. I was thinking about this last night. is both the hardest and easiest to put together. Easy because I know exactly what I want to say to you. I know exactly what I want to communicate from the scriptures, but it's such a broad and such a vast body of scripture that the hard part was figuring out what not to say and how to put it in an order that makes sense to you so that you can see in the scripture clearly and understand what we're talking about. I don't want you to leave confused this morning. It's never my desire for you to come in here and be impressed and confused. Have, you, have you, ever, you ever been somewhere where you're incredibly impressed by what you see, but it means nothing to you? You go home and you're like, well, that was cool, but I don't know. No, that's never my desire. I always want you to have something that you can rest your faith in. So I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask and answer. I'm going to do my best this morning. Y'all lean in with me, okay? I'm going to do my best to ask and answer two questions. Question number one is, why does this message about power from on high, about the Holy Spirit, why does it even matter? Why Why is Pastor Josh doing a series about this? What do Jesus and the Apostle Paul have to say about this question or about this topic? Why does it matter? Question number two is, are we sure that it's still valid for today? Are we sure that it's still valid for today? In other words, why do I, as a pastor, believe in a continuationist doctrine as opposed to a cessationist position? I mentioned those words to you last week, and I'll talk more about them today. But question number one, let's dive into why does this message matter so much? Why is the message of the Holy Spirit pivotally important in your life? Let me give you three reasons. Number one, because according to Jesus... The Holy Spirit and His power are requirements for ministry. According to Jesus, the Holy... How many of you think Jesus knows what He's talking about? Yeah, Maybe, just maybe, yeah, okay. According to Jesus, the Holy Spirit and His power are requirements for ministry. Now, I'm going to warn you up front. I'm going to throw a lot of scriptures at you this morning, okay? Lots. So do your best to just... It's going to be like drinking from a fire hose. Like just, just go with me, okay? John chapter 14, verses 12 through 14, reading from the New King James. Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will also do, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. He who believes in me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these, because I go to the Father. Jesus here is speaking prophetically about. The future activity of his church and his body in the earth after he was gone. Notice it again. The, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he's going to do also. And greater than these, why? Because I go to the Father. You remember we said this last week. that Jesus. It was better for Jesus to leave and return back to the Father. So that the Holy Spirit could come and indwell everybody that was a part of Jesus' body right the Holy Spirit came to so that he could live within each and every one of us and rest upon each and every one of us he's both in us and on us and I like I quoted this last week and I'll say it again I forget the preacher that said it but he said Jesus or excuse me he said the Holy Spirit is in me for me but he's on me for you and for everybody else around he's in me for me but he's on me for you So Jesus begins to speak prophetically here about the fact that the church would carry on the legacy of his ministry and of his power after he departs. Now, in the book of Matthew, Jesus is sending his disciples out to minister, the 12 disciples, and notice how he sends them. Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, and then we'll read verses 5 through 8. Matthew 10, verse 1, he says, and when he had called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them... Power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Jump down to verse 5. It says, these 12 Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, don't go into the way of the Gentiles. Do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Watch this. Freely you have received, freely give. Many of you know that that concept is still valid today. That what you have freely received from the Lord, you freely give to others. Amen. How many of you believe that God just called you to hoard up everything that the Lord has done for you? Just give it to me, Lord, and I won't share with anyone. No, we understand more about, about God than that. We know that he's called us to make a difference and, and an impact in the lives of the people around us. That's why it's one of the main, the main points of our vision here is that we, that we are facilitators and we are partakers in transformation in the lives of people. We know that God wants to turn people's, turn people's lives around and transform people, and we're just excited we get to be a part of that. Freely we have received, freely we give. Well, let me ask you a question. What had they received? What had they received? Verse 1 says, he gave them power over unclean spirits, over disease and sickness. See, they were just giving what they had been given. You with me? They were just giving out what they had been given. My The, the, uh, the last message in this series, by the way, is titled, Give it away, give it away, give it away now. Some of you may know who the Red Hot Chili Peppers are. And uh, give it away, give it away, give it away now. See, our job, once we understand how to receive power from on high, our job is to give it out, to distribute the goodness of God. What he's blessed us with is not supposed to end with us. So what did he give them? He gave them power from above. Notice that Jesus first gives them power, then he sends them out. You need to see and be aware of the order And the emphasis here. Luke chapter 10, i I'm going to read a handful of verses from this passage. This is another instance, another instance of Jesus sending people out to minister. This time, it was 70 disciples. The first one we just read was was the 12, right? This is a group of, of disciples that is 70 large. And in Luke chapter 10, verse 1, he says, After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and the place where he himself was about to go. So here's Jesus sending people in groups of two into all these cities that he's about to go to. And he's sending them to do a little prep work, right? And here's what he says. The harvest is truly great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Note the responsibility of The disciples to be laborers in his harvest. This is something that we oftentimes want to pass off to somebody else. How many of you have ever heard this selfish prayer? Well, let's just pray for, uh, you know, Brother Jimmy. Lord, send laborers into his path. What about you? You already know him. Hello. You already know Brother Jimmy. Why are you asking God to send somebody else into his path? You sit next to him at work. Jesus is like, I'm trying to get you to talk to him, man. That's why he's on your heart. Note the responsibility of the laborer. It's to go into the harvest and go after the lost and go after the people that Jesus loved so much that he gave his life for them. But notice how they do it. They go with some power. They don't just go with a a, a catchy sermon. They don't just go with the flavor of the week uh, from our devotional series. No, they go with some power. He appointed them, and then he told them to heal the sick. Look at verse 8 of that same passage, Luke 10. Boy, I got to go fast. I got so many scriptures to show you. all Verse 8, whatever city you enter, and if they receive you, eat such things as are set before you, verse 9, and heal the sick there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Verse 17, jump way down to verse 17 just for the sake of time. Then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Why? He gave them power. He appointed them. He gave them responsibility. And he gave them what they would need to, to uh Accomplish that responsibility. Power from His Spirit. Luke 24, verse 49, we read it already. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. The word tarry just means to wait. And we all know what the word until means, right? I don't have to go into the Greek on that one, right? Notice Jesus' emphasis. Wait until. Wait until. Wait until. Wait until simple reality is that God does not want His church declaring a message to the world without the sufficient power needed to validate that message. We say it again. The simple reality is that God does not want His church declaring a message to the world without the sufficient power needed to validate that message. It's not right for me to lift up my voice and say God is a good God and He loves you and He's a deliverer and then not have the power to to back up that He's a deliverer. You go look at Luke chapter 4. We don't have time. There's so many verses we could look at. But you go look at Luke chapter 4 when Jesus quotes Isaiah 61 and he says, The Spirit of the Lord's upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to claim, proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind. Y'all know the passage I'm talking about. Why were those words effective? Because Jesus had the power to back him up. He said, The Spirit of the Lord's on me because the Lord's anointed me preach the gospel to the poor. He could preach the gospel to the poor, couldn't he? He sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Boy, he could heal the brokenhearted, couldn't he? Why? Because he had some power. He could, he could set at liberty those who were oppressed, as that scripture says, couldn't he? Why? Because he had power. You see, that's the, that's the, the pattern and the emphasis beginning in the Gospels and carrying on into the book of Acts and on into the epistles. We'll see that in a moment. God doesn't want us declaring his word without the sufficient power needed to validate what we say. If I tell you that God's a healer, I better be able to back that up. Now, it's not understand, it's not my power. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. We'll see a, we'll see a verse here in Acts in just a few minutes. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that does it. But, but I ought to live with such an awareness of that power and with a willingness to pray and believe that God's power is going to move in a person's life. I need to believe that that power's real and that it's evident and living in me and in you. Y'all with me so far? This isn't too difficult, is it? Okay, great. So no, that was a funny sound. I don't know if y'all heard that, but it just made a big water bubble sound when I took a drink, okay. <laughs> so, so, so firstly, firstly, Jesus believes that this is important, that the Holy Spirit and His power are are prerequisites. They're absolutely essential for doing ministry. Number two, because the demonstration of the Holy Spirit and His power is very clearly seen as the standard practice of the church. Okay, so firstly, why is this important? Number one, because Jesus said it was important. He said it was a prerequisite to ministry. It was essential. Number two reasons, because the demonstration of the Holy Spirit... And his power are clearly seen as the standard practice of the church. Beginning in the book of Acts and carrying on. I'm going to give you like a ton of scriptures. Buckle up. Here we go. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. We read it at the beginning. Jesus is promising that the power was going to come when the Holy Spirit came. And he tells them that they're coming. And what happens? Acts chapter 2 happens. The Holy Spirit arrives with power. 5,000 people get saved. Peter is a man who just 50 days prior to this experience denied he even knew Jesus' existence. Can you imagine the transformation that happened in the life of Peter? 50 days before the day of Pentecost, Jesus is outside of of the, the high priest's home, or excuse me, Peter is outside of the high priest's home watching to try to see what they're doing to Jesus inside. It's the middle of the night. And this little girl comes up to Peter and says, hey, I know you. You're you're one of those Jesus followers. You're one of his disciples, aren't you? And Peter three times denies that he even knows the Lord. And now 50 days later, after the resurrection and after the Holy Spirit comes in Peter and rests on Peter, Peter now stands up in front of thousands of people and preaches the gospel With such boldness and such veracity that 5,000 people give their lives to Christ in one sermon. I don't know what you think about that. That's a pretty big transformation. That's a, I used to, I once was blind and now I see. I mean, that's like a, holy smokes, what happened to Peter? I'll tell you what happened to Peter. The Holy Spirit came in him and rested on him and everything about his life changed from that moment. And that is the pattern that we see beginning in the book of Acts and carrying all the way through. You jump down to verse 42 of Acts chapter 2, and it says, They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. And then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. God's power was on display in his church then. And his power is on display in his church today. Mark chapter 16 verse 20 says, They went out and preached everywhere. The Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. That is an amazing passage of scripture. That's an amazing thought. That the, the disciples, after they had received this gift of the Holy Spirit, they went out in every direction. They preached the word. They did exactly what Jesus told them that they would do. And guess what happened? There was manifestations of power and the accompanying signs. The Holy Spirit worked with the word that was being preached. They lifted up their voices and they said, Jesus is Lord. And guess what? Jesus showed up. The Holy Spirit showed up, right? God showed up. And there were many signs. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John heal a crippled man outside of the beautiful gate. And they get arrested for it. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that so nice? Jesus like, you know, wait in Jerusalem until you're endued with power. And then go out and change the world, boys. And like day three, they go out and change the world. And they get arrested for it. What a buzzkill. Right? So here it is, verse 12 of, of Acts chapter 3, and they're saying, it says, when Peter saw it, he responded to the people. Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? All the, all the people are marveling that, that Peter and John healed this guy. He says, why do you marvel at this? Why do you look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness, we have made this man walk? Remember, he was a crippled man, and he went walking and leaping and praising God. They were surprised that the priests were surprised that this guy got healed. Like, why are you so shocked? It's not our power. It's power from above. It's power from the Holy Spirit. He's in me, and now he's on me, and I have been deputized to set some people free. Amen. Let's keep going. I got a bunch of scriptures. Acts chapter 4. Verse 33 says, with great power, everybody say great power. With great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and great grace was upon them all. Just like Jesus said. He said, you're going to get some power from the Spirit of God. You're going to go out into the world, and you're going to be witnesses to me. That's exactly what happened, and it's still happening today. Acts chapter 5, verse 14. Believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing might fall upon some of them. Also, a multitude gathered from around the cities in Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and watch this, they were all healed. Why? Not because of their power, Not because of their ability, not because Peter was special, not because John was special. Why? Because God was now in them and on them and his power was available to transform the world around them. Amen. Acts chapter 6 verse 8. Now we're getting into the guys who weren't apostles. Just two chapters, or one chapter later, it says, verse 8 of Acts chapter 6, Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Acts chapter 8, verse 5, then Philip, another normal guy, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. Notice what he preached, and notice what happened. He preached Christ. He didn't preach his ideas. He preached about Jesus. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed. And many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. I want to tell you that beginning with its inception in the Scriptures, and it's continuation through the centuries since. The church of Jesus Christ has always functioned in the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe that. Listen to this quote from, in my opinion, not just my opinion, but a lot of people believe this. One of the greatest preachers to ever live. One of the greatest preachers to ever live is a man named Charles Spurgeon. Listen to this quote. From Charles H. Spurgeon. A church in the land without the Spirit is rather a curse than a blessing. That's that's a significant indictment, right? A church in the land without the Spirit is rather a curse than a blessing. If you have not the Spirit of God, Christian worker, remember that you stand in somebody else's way. You are a fruitless tree. Standing where a fruitful tree might grow. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, ouch. (laughs) Dr. Spurgeon just gave us a whooping. A church in the land without God's spirit, it's a curse rather than a blessing. You see, God's desire is that we as his body and as his church be be, be so filled and so saturated with his spirit that power emanates from our lives to fix the issues of the people around us. God has always moved on somebody somewhere since Acts chapter 2. You say, not in the church I grew up in. Well, I'm so sorry that that was the situation. But, but somewhere, on somebody, God's moving. And always has since the day His Spirit was poured out. i got to keep moving. I only have a few minutes left here. The third reason I believe this is such an important message is because Paul places significant emphasis on the Holy Spirit and upon His power all through his writing in the epistles. Paul places significant emphasis on on the holy spirit. I mean he starts Romans 1. Romans is his it is his doctoral thesis on the subject of salvation and righteousness by grace through faith. It's one of the richest books in the whole Bible, the book of Romans. It's amazing. If you've never really studied Romans, I encourage you to because it's astounding. It's wonderful And he opens that book by saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why, Paul? Because it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Do you understand that you can't even get saved without the Holy Spirit's power? We can't even even know Jesus without the power of God's Spirit. Why is it that we downplay the role of the third person of the Trinity so frequently in what we do? Why is it that the church downplays this valid, important, dare I say, crucial role that the Holy Spirit plays in the earth? Paul places significant emphasis on the Holy Spirit his writing Romans fifteen verse nineteen. Listen to this. He says, "In many signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and roundabout to Illyricum, I have preached the go- excuse me. I have fully preached the gospel of Jesus Christ in many signs and many wonders by what by the power of God's Spirit that from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum." I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. With Paul, it's as though he's saying a gospel that is void of power is no gospel at all. Listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians 2. He says, I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the mystery of God. I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. I know exactly how he feels, especially when you stand up in front of people and you try to preach a message about the Holy Spirit. I know what it's like to preach in weakness and fear and much trembling. Amen. I'm with you, Paul. High five, bro. Watch what he says in verse 4. This is it. My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but my preaching was with demonstration of the Spirit and of power that your faith would not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul was so committed to the power of the Holy Spirit and to signs and wonders and miracles being a part of his ministry. He was so committed to it that he actually says that the people in Corinth's faith would not rest in the wisdom of men, but in God's power. He was so committed to the miraculous that he said, it's going to be a catalyst for your faith. That's incredible. That's an incredible thought. Look what he says in, in two chapters later in 1 Corinthians 4, for the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance. You see, God, the, the, the power of God's Spirit at work in us is to promote and produce an assurance in us of who He really is. God loves to validate His word with His power. Oh, come on. Y'all can give me a better amen on that one. That's a good tweet right there. God loves to confirm his word with his power. Why does Paul emphasize the necessity of demonstration and power? Well, let's consider for just a brief moment. I wish I had time to talk about this for like hours, honestly. But let's consider for just a moment where it is, the context of where Paul is preaching. What is, the, what is the context? What is the existing narrative culturally, societally, that Paul is speaking into? Paul is ministering in the, in the area at that time known as Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, and later in Greece, and later in Rome. I was in Rome a month and a half ago. I stood outside the Pantheon. And right up on the Pantheon is the words M. Agrippa. How many of you know who King Agrippa was? He was who Paul appealed to. He was the Caesar that Paul appealed to in the book of Acts. And that building was was erected by his son, the younger Agrippa, and he put his name on the front. I loved seeing that in real life because I was like, this is incredible. It's just so wonderful to see evidence of Bible stories in front of you. Pretty cool. Paul preached... In this context of the Roman Empire, the existing Roman Empire, and the former Greek Empire, Paul, his ministry began on the, you know, just after the Hellenistic period in the Greek Empire, when the Roman Empire, the Romans took over, and and their empire began to swallow up the existing Greek Empire. So, you know, just a couple hundred years before Paul were guys like Plato and Aristotle and Socrates, all the the Stoics and Seneca and all these people, the, the guys who invented public communication. You know, the Greeks were the first people to do conferences. Right? They, they had Mars Hill. They had their place. They were, the, they were the guys who invented and created the word ecclesia, which is the word that we use to describe church. They created this idea of a guy like me standing up in front of a bunch of people like you and streaming online. <laughs> Pretty sure Paul traveled with the camera. Paul was going into a context of people That were very, very steeped in religious ideology and humanistic ideology. He was preaching to Greeks. These guys were totally used to arguing about ideology. He was ministering in the context of the current Roman Empire. And their deities. When he gets to to Ephesus, there's a temple there to the goddess Diana that all these people go and make sacrifices to. Why am I saying this? Because Paul, when he's preaching, he's preaching to a culture that is chock full of religious options. Paul is preaching to a world that couldn't care less about what he has to say. So when he stands up to preach, he better have some power to back up what he has to say. He goes into Corinth and he says, you guys got a temple to a God that doesn't even have a name. He said, let me tell you about the God that does have a name. His name is Jesus. He died on the cross for your sins. He was buried and in three days he rose from the grave and that got their attention. And then he said, not only did he raise from the grave, he came in the form of the Spirit of God, and he now lives in mankind, and he dwells upon mankind. And, oh, this guy just fell out of the roof while I was preaching, so let me go down to the street and raise him from the dead and keep preaching. You see, Paul, he said, my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words. Why? Because they had tons of persuasive words. They had all kinds of people that had a lot to say, but didn't have the power to validate what they had to say. So now Paul says, I'm not here to try to argue the gospel down your throat. Let me just show you why God is so powerful. And he demonstrated over and over and over To Paul, a gospel preached apart from the Holy Spirit, and his power is no gospel at all. Now, in the last few minutes that I have with you, in the last few minutes, let me answer this question. Are we sure that this power is still for today? Let me answer to you why I'm not a cessationist. Remember what we talked about last week? The difference between continuationism and cessationism. The word cessation is based on the word cease. There are many, many believers who praise God for them, bless them. They're our brothers, they're our sisters. They're people that we love and we can have great fellowship with. I sat down um, some time ago, several years ago, with a Presbyterian pastor. What a what a great brother. We sat down and we sat in in, in, a, in uh, my office at the time and... and uh, We just sat and talked about the Lord. We had a mutual friend, and our mutual friend introduced the two of us. And so we were sitting and talking, and I was telling him about where I came from and my background, and and he was like, oh, man, that's awesome. I asked him about his background and where he came from. He said, man, he told me. It was awesome. And then we got to pray together at at the end of our time together. And I thought, oh, boy, here it is, a charismatic guy getting prayed for by a Presbyterian. See, we didn't have agreement on cessationism and continuation. We didn't agree about this. But, man, we still loved one another. He prayed for me, and I prayed for him, and I went away so blessed. I thought, man, this is awesome. So there, there are people out there that, that they, they don't agree with me about this. They're, they're what, I, what, what they would subscribe, ascribe as cessationists. But I still love them. I still believe God's best for them. But let me tell you why I'm not a cessationist. Two reasons. Number one, because of all those scriptures that we just read and more. Because there's scripture after scripture after scripture, and all of them convince me of my need and your need for demonstrations of God's spirit and of his miraculous power. Yet there are no verses in scripture that indicate that the power of the Holy Spirit will stop at any time. Not one. You can search the whole Bible high and low. There's not a scripture anywhere that talks about this activity coming to an end. I have a very dear friend who was a a seminary student and was actually preparing to do his thesis on cessationism. And it was his study in studying cessationism that actually caused him to become a continuationist. Because we're taught, you know, if you go to seminary or Bible college, if you go to a good one anyways, they teach you they teach you this concept, sola scriptura. It's a Latin word that means only the scripture. It means if it doesn't come out, if it doesn't have a scriptural root, I'm not interested in it, right? How many of you are thankful for the word of God? You're thankful that we preach the Bible around here? I am. And he began to comb through the scriptures looking for some indication scripturally That the gifts of the Holy Spirit had ceased, that this powerful activity from on high had ceased. And he couldn't find it, couldn't find it anywhere. One of the most prominent arguments that I'm aware of for cessationism is this idea that we no longer need demonstrations of the power and of miracles because we have the Bible. And the early church didn't have the Bible. It's one of the larger arguments out there as to why, you know, folks believe that the Holy Spirit doesn't work like that anymore. Because we have the Bible and they didn't. See, they need. this is the argument. They needed God's power to validate the word because they didn't have a book that they could lean on. They didn't have the, the scripture written down. I don't believe that that's a good enough ground to base a theology upon. Again, if you're going to believe something, it's got to come out of the scripture. Furthermore, that doesn't even really make sense to me. And let me tell you why. Because of all the scriptures that we just read, the ones that are written down, that validate and emphasize the need for the spirit of God. I'll give you an analogy, and, and in the words of the theologian Gordon Fee, he says, no, two analogies are truly analogous. So uh, every analogy has just a little bit of a shortcoming, but this one gets really close. Imagine that you're Paul for a moment, and you're writing. Well, well let's do this. Imagine that, that you're a chef, and you're writing a cookbook. Okay. Imagine that you're a chef, and you're writing a cookbook, and you're, and you're writing to your fans everywhere because you got this really great recipe for cake and you're like look if you want to make the world's greatest chocolate cake here's how you do it you need eggs, flour, sugar vanilla cocoa powder all the stuff you need for cake and you write it all down and then as you're writing it you say you know what these are all the things that you absolutely need you really 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 need eggs to make a really really good cake you really need flour Paul wasn't gluten-free, hallelujah. You really need flour to bake a really good cake. But what if there was a footnote at the bottom of that recipe that said, by the time this cookbook is published, you won't need flour anymore. Again, it's an analogy. It's not perfect but it helps us to understand the reality of what we're talking about. Why would the Holy Spirit be critically necessary to the recipe while the Bible was being written at the beginning of the early church, but now that the Bible comes out, we don't need the Holy Spirit anymore? Give me a break. It's a shallow and intellectually lazy argument. Reason number two why I'm not a cessationist. Notice that this is reason number two, not reason number one. Thankfully, in my life and in the ministry that I've gotten to take part in, my experience has followed that which I've seen demonstrated in Scripture for a long time. I've had some amazing, I mean, I've watched God restore so many people through the years. I've watched miracles happen with my own eyes. It, to the degree that I've watched them happen, and I'm still shocked that they're happening in front of me me. And I believe this stuff. And I'm like, whoa, I can't believe that just happened. I'm not interested in shoving a viewpoint on scripture down anybody's throat. But I am interested in exposing as many people as I can to what the word of God truly says and what I believe is true in the word. And I'm not afraid to have, the, to have the, the conversation, to have the discussion, because I believe it matters. I believe it's important enough that the church of God be empowered with the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, like I said to you last week, I'm not interested in turning anybody into to me. And I'm certainly not interested in weird Christians. Okay, amen. We took a poll last week of people that grew up in charismatic church and saw some weird stuff. I'm right there with you. I'm not interested in any weirdos. But I am interested in the blind seeing. I'm interested in people with depression coming to the altar and not finding a powerless God, but interacting with a God that's filled with power that will pull them out of their depression. I'm interested in seeing a person who comes with stage four cancer and says, I'm out of options. They're like the woman with the issue of blood. I've been to every doctor, and, 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 and I'm not better. In fact, I'm worse. And they encounter not me, not you, but they find a Jesus who is living and willing to minister by his power and by his grace into their lives. Can you say amen? I'm interested in whatever is authentically God. And I believe his power is still very real and it's still very necessary and it's still very accessible to those who believe. Amen. Now listen, in the coming weeks, we're going to talk about application. I'm going to just tell you right now, next week is going to be very hard. Next week, I'm coming for your flesh. I'm coming for your excuses. Okay? Just telling you. Go ahead and set your alarm for next Sunday morning so that you're here. (laughs) Next week's going to be hard. You know why? Because we're going to talk about receiving the power of God. And we're going to talk about the things that get in the way that cause us to not receive. i tell you, the devil's working overtime in your life to keep you out of God's presence and out of his power and out of his word. He's working overtime to keep the power of God off of you and out of your life. So we're going to come after him next week. Is that okay with you? Let's stand up to our feet. Thanks again for listening to the Hope Church Podcast. Our church exists to see people from all walks of life, know Jesus, connect and grow, discover their purpose and make a difference in this world. If you would like to connect with us further, or if you need prayer or assistance, please visit us at hopeboon.com, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts.